The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and happy Friday everyone. Welcome to Scorefox. Here are your headlines today. Treasury yields climb and global markets tumble as Fed Chair Jerome Powell tells CNBC during an IMF debate that a 50 basis point hike in May is firmly on the table. Uh, so inflation is much higher now and our policy rate is, is uh, still more accommodative than it was then. So it is appropriate in my view to be moving a little more quickly. Polls show French President Emmanuel Macron widening his lead over far-right challenger Marine Le Pen as the campaign makes their last uh, appeals are really ahead of Sunday's vote. Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire tells CNBC exclusively there is only one real option. Everybody must be aware that there is a clear choice to make for the future of France between two different visions of the future of France. Good morning, everybody. Kering posts double-digit revenue gains in the first quarter. But the French luxury group acknowledges that lockdowns in China have had heavy consequences. And Elon Musk says he's lined up $46 billion in financing to buy Twitter, putting pressure on the company's board to negotiate a deal or come up with an alternative plan. talk about that 50 basis point hike as uh, it is uh, becoming clear that a 50 basis point rate hike will be on the table at the Federal Reserve's meeting at the start of May. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has said signalling the central bank is ready to tighten more aggressively to combat surging inflation. Speaking to CNBC's Sarah Eisen at the IMF spring meetings, Powell said it was appropriate for markets to price in half a percentage point increase which would lift rates to the 075 1% range. I also think there's something in the idea of front-end loading whatever accommodation one thinks is appropriate. So, so that does close point, to yes. that points there in the go. direction of, of 50 basis points being on the table. Certainly we make these decisions at the meeting and we'll make a meeting by meeting, but I, I would say that 50 basis points will be on the table for the May meeting. Uh, let's take a look at that market reaction then. Treasury markets is uh, very much the focus for a lot of investors now. We tipped through that uh, 3% mark uh, towards the shorter end of the curve on the fives. The 10 you can see perched very close to that level as well, almost uh, seven basis points off the 3% mark. So investors are very much uh, starting to reprice around the potential for that 50 basis point rate hike, but also for follow-up increases of that magnitude. And as we talk about uh, these levels of increases, I mean, 50 basis points we've not seen for a couple of decades, about 20 plus years. So it is a fairly sizable move. And if we just take a look at the market reaction more broadly on equities, and don't forget a lot of investors have been fixated on the earnings reports that have been crossing and just how the C-suite is tackling cost pressures and inflation. The verdict has been somewhat positive this week that companies have been passing on some of those increases, maintaining margins and profits have still looked healthy at this point. But uh, it was a, a really a narrative that was stolen by the Fed yesterday. And you can see that uh, 50 basis 
basis points, more aggressive tightening, also tackling the balance sheet, uh, that conversation coming through. Investors taking stock of some of those risk on positions. And you can see it was tech that was hit down more than 2% on the NASDAQ. It's been a, a challenging week already around very mixed report cards. Netflix really rattling the technology story this week. The, um, Tesla, on the other hand, providing a little bit of support. But you can see the NASDAQ trading down more than the other parts of this market. 1.5 down on the S&P, just over 1% off the Dow in session. Let's take a look at that S&P intraday. You can see over the course of the session how it played out. We did start out uh, towards the higher ranges before falling over the course of the session. So really declining sentiment as investors digested those comments from Jay Powell. We'd already heard messaging this week from a number of Fed members about the potential for a move like that. But having Powell also lean into the commentary around 50 basis points just really sets the scene for next month. The big technology names, let's take a close-up look at how they did perform in session. Uh, I mentioned Netflix has clearly been the one to watch. You can see down another 3.5% yesterday stateside. There was some uh, early support in the European trading around Frankfurt, but as you can see, it uh, was another weaker trade that played out. More than 6% of Meta, also a point of discussion around the set today, uh, yesterday as to whether this could be the next shoe to drop with investors would take another look at the company that we know is uh, Facebook, 6-odd percent off, a very strong move to the downside, which means it's also suffered very big falls over the course of this year, uh, closer to the 50-odd percent mark, 3.7 down on Amazon. This was the underperformer for some of the major indices. So as we take a look at the big fang stocks, uh, this is uh, one where investors had uh, provided a little bit more support, but you can see that faded in session yesterday, uh, Microsoft down 1.9%. So uh, a lot of weakness, uh, certainly in Tesla was the bright spot though, Jeff. Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? So the narrative around the markets may have been about peak inflation, but it doesn't seem necessarily that the central bankers are buying into the terminology. And certainly when you look at the uh, market reaction that you were detailing there, Karen, it doesn't seem like we've hit peak fear yet either. Although uh, there clearly are um, some concerns that we will see these markets continue to react to any uh, updated statement we get from these central bankers. So how did it boil down in terms of the dollar movement? Well, you all know the story about the dollar. It's been incredibly strong and it's been challenging for a lot of these currencies where the central banks have a very different view of the inflation trend. It's been very difficult for them to make any headway against the greenback. So as we look at the dollar crosses this morning, uh, we're seeing a little bit of movement with the euro against the dollar as perhaps the market reassesses its view on what the ECB is going to do in the light of Christine Lagarde's remarks. Um, sterling dollar traded pretty much to a standstill around the one spot 30 level. And in terms of the other interesting trade, I think keep your eye on that dollar yet, uh, yuan story because obviously the Chinese um, are in this tussle at the moment between believing that a weaker yuan would be good for business and trade, but a weaker yuan also has its own consequences in terms of uh, inflation and uh, debt servicing uh, in hard currencies for the Chinese. The Asian markets, as you might expect, given the declines we saw in the US overnight, 
have been incredibly weak with both the uh, Nikkei and the ASX uh, shedding more than one and a half percent. We've also had weakness, of course, uh, across the other markets like South Korea and Hong Kong. And just to wrap up on the opening calls then, early doors, we're seeing the same kind of story in prospect for Europe here with weakness this Friday morning with the FTSE indicated down over 100 points, uh, the DAX down over 200 and the other European markets following pretty much uh, in line with those calls. So let's recircle to some of the commentary. The Fed chair said bringing down uh, inflation without tipping the US economy into recession was going to be a difficult task. Well, our goal is to is to is to get demand, use our tools to get demand and supply back in sync so that inflation moves down and do so without a slowdown that amounts to a recession. That's our goal. And I, I don't think you'll hear anyone at the Fed say that that's going to be straightforward or easy. It's going to be very challenging. We're going to do our very best to accomplish that. And it's it's absolutely essential to restore price stability without price stability. Really, the economies don't work without price stability. Speaking alongside Powell was European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde. While the Fed chair took a more hawkish position, Lagarde defended the ECB's decision to hold steady on rates, saying inflation drivers between Europe and the US are fundamentally different. Our economies are moving at a different pace. Our inflation are fed by different components. And as a result of that, our analysis of the roots and the consequences of inflation have to be different. Our inflation numbers are very high. You're right. You know, 7.4% in March, and we will be, you know, more than double above the target at the end of the year. But when you try to understand what comprises that very high number, you see that almost 50% of it is energy prices. So that's a supply shock that uh, we are taking. Important commentary, I think, for a lot of investors, uh, the ECB there with its position. But just coming back to Powell, this is the big one. I mean, it's the last scheduled meeting before his uh, next uh, outing over at the Fed. And uh, talking about 50 basis points being on the table does give investors a very strong clue as to how the Fed is thinking. If you look at Fed funds, they're also positioning around June. And don't forget, there's already been some discussion by some of the more hawkish members about a jumbo-sized rate move. And we think 50 basis points is a jumbo-sized move, given we've moved in 20 basis point incrementals um, moves in recent years if we've moved it could be 75 and I think the market is now looking at that more hawkish picture also just worth noting the use of the the word uh, front loading that the market had been debating that as well over the last few months and Powell also leaning into that suggesting there's some haste to start to bank those rate increases so I think that's quite fascinating to consider that uh, we are looking at a much sharper trajectory now and uh, just whether this does anything for the markets, Jeff, I think is going to be key because there's been relative calm at this point. But if we look over history, we know that uh, aggressive moves by the Fed and you combine that with QT uh, balance sheet, uh, balance sheet uh, shrinking, that uh, it can rattle the market. So it's something we're watching out for. Yeah, let let me just pick up on that phrase that you used, relative calm. And I think the point is that what the Fed speakers have been trying to do here is to educate the market 
uh, through this shift in language, we, we've seen progressively speakers adjusting their language and becoming increasingly hawkish over the last few months. And I think what, what's been happening is they've been trying to send a signal about what is coming and they've been suggesting that you think hard about that and adjust your portfolio positioning appropriately depending on how long you want to be in the market? Are you a long-term investor? Are you a short-term investor? Are you a gambler? Or are you a steady saver? Um, Are you buying on leverage? Or are you um, deep-pocketed and able to weather a few short-term storms? And all of these messages, of course, have been designed to encourage this gradual deflation of the asset bubble that's built up since the, well, I, I guess the global financial crisis, if we're honest about it. But more recently, off the back of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that we saw as a result of the COVID lockdowns. So I, I think that the, the messaging has been very clear and a lot would argue, even if they don't like it, probably appropriate in terms of the inflation prints that we are seeing. And of course, there are many who are suggesting that the Fed is actually a long way behind the curve in dealing with the uh, um, inflation that we have. But I don't think the drama necessarily is in the um, equity markets, even as we look at them and we see these sort of 1%, 2% moves here. It's the belly of the curve that actually took a lot of the pain. And that quite dramatic move into 3% territory by the five-year, I thought was remarkable. And of course, it opens up that gap now with the 30-year treasury. And that implies all sorts of ideas about what shape the economy is going to be in over the next the next six to 12 months. And the other place that I think investors do need to keep their eye on is just some of these emerging market currencies and, and um, uh, developed market currencies that look to be getting very weak as a result of um, their own central banks um, heading off in a slightly different direction in reaction to inflation at the moment, and namely the yen and the yuan that continue to just lose value against the dollar. There is a risk that that kind of disparity of policy action does have consequences and creates tensions, particularly around trade and debt servicing. So there's a lot to think about, Karen, this morning as we digest some of the commentary we've had from these central bankers. Yeah, plenty more to pour over. And I want to talk about what we're seeing in the labour market too, the commentary about the unsustainably hot market we were watching. Uh, that uh, was Powell's comments yesterday. And let's push on, though. We've got a lot of earnings crossing, and we know earnings are quite key to uh, the outlook at this point. And Renault is uh, one that's hit the tape this morning. The auto stock has not been exactly a stellar performer so far this year. We've seen a fairly significant drop over the course of trading. And don't forget supply chain shortages, one of the major issues a lot of the big auto companies are facing. Its Q1 group revenues are down 2.7% to 9.75 billion euros. Global sales amounted to 552,000 vehicles in the first quarter. That was down 17.1% versus the same time a year ago. So fairly significant double-digit slump here. Now, X the activities of uh, Avtovaz and uh, Renault Russia. The group's Q1 revenue was 8.9 billion euros. So again, a nod to some of the uh, issues around the conflict. It has confirmed its financial outlook as announced on the 23rd of March this year. It talks about its order book in Europe at the end of March. That was at a 15-year high. It represented 3.9 months of sales. 
positive price effect of 5.6 points over the quarter and uh, the momentum is continuing. It's also confirmed a, a total of uh, 2022 production loss estimated at 300,000 vehicles, mainly in the first half due to the impact of the semiconductor crisis. So I think that's fairly uh, striking as we talk about the impact of 300,000 vehicles because of the uh, issues around uh, disruption and supply chains. It says it's strengthening its competitiveness with additional cost reduction programs. We've seen an element of that self-help through a lot of corporates, again, taking an axe to costs at this point. Uh, they say they will present at a capital market day in the fall of this year, an update on its financial objectives and its strategies. So uh, promising a little bit around uh, the future and uh, what it intends to do in terms of a blueprint from here as it backs its 2022 outlook. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. Well, let's take the break. Um, big weekend, of course. We're going to hear exclusively from the French finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, as campaigning for the French presidential elections enters its final hours. Join us for that interview after the break as we take you back to Paris for the vote. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. French voters go to the polls this weekend to choose their next president in the second round of the national election. The incumbent president, Emmanuel Macron, will once again face his main rival, the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen, in a runoff that many describe as tight and uncertain. Final polls show that Macron consolidated his lead after weeks of campaigning and a crucial televised debate this week. According to the poll from Ipsos, Macron is leading with 57.5%. While this survey from uh, IFOP puts him at 55.5% against Le Pen's 44.5%. Both candidates have used their final days of campaigning to address voters in person. President Macron visited a working class suburb north of Paris where he urged people not to get used to the rise of far right ideas. We have difficulties, we are aware of them. They are sometimes of an economic security nature. There are inequalities that remain in our society. This is our collective challenge. I'm convinced of one thing. We will resolve none of these problems by separating our society, by disrespecting a part of the population. His opponent, the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen, spoke at a rally in Arras where she described President Macron as nonchalant, arrogant and condescending and promised her voters a change. I've had enough, like you, of this permanent disrespect. As for me, I will be the president of respect for the French people, and I know that they desperately expect respect. But in reality, Emmanuel Macron's attitude is so revealing of a five-year mandate of a democratic disintegration. Everyone last night understood that Emmanuel Macron does not like the French people, and especially those who do not agree with his policy because they suffer from it in their daily lives. 
I hope that's okay and you didn't hear the papers rustling, but I'll stick my head in to come check. Well, let's get out to Charlotte who joins us from Paris on the final day of the official campaign. Charlotte, as we uh, lead into the weekend, it seems as though there's still a lot of undecided voters, which probably gives us an idea as to why Emmanuel Macron made an unscheduled walk around yesterday on uh, one of the final days of his campaign, much to the horror of his security. <laughs> Oh, he loves doing that. He always keeps them on their toes. But look, he doesn't shy away from going and speaking to people and confronting them. He gets a lot of criticism when he goes around, uh, people asking why he's doing some things and others. And he's really getting out there. And look, he, as we said, he didn't campaign very much in the first round. This time around, he's really been hitting the ground. And yesterday in, in Saint-Denis, and one of the territories where Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the Falef candidate, came top. And he knows that the kind of voters is kind of popular areas uh, where he needs to get some people on behind him, some of these voters behind him. And again, uh, yesterday we went, we went to one of these final campaigning events uh, in Lyon, the third largest city in the country. And You had uh, several members of government attending this event. It was in Villeurbanne, one of the suburbs of Lyon, where again, Jean-Luc Mélenchon came top. And again, that's the kind of voters that they need to go after. And I had a chance to catch up with Bruno Le Maire, the economy and finance minister, one of these final campaigning events. And I did ask him uh, how the spirit was the day after that debate and how they were entering those final days of campaigning. I would say that we are confident, determined, and um, that we uh, stand ready for the next uh, hours to uh, convince all the people that we can convince, because uh, if we want to get the victory, we need to convince uh, all the people that remains to be convinced by uh, our vision and our proposals for France. When Villeurbanne, a stronghold of Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the candidate, a lot of his voters need to be convinced by Emmanuel Macron to get re-elected. How can you win those left-wing voters that voted for him in 2017, but this time around are not too sure about that? I think that first of all, um, everybody must be aware that there is a clear choice to make for the future of France between two different visions of the future of France. Uh, one which is uh, supported by uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, where France uh, will play a key role in Europe, another one uh, where France would withdraw from uh, Europe, a kind of uh, Frexit. A proposal defended by uh, Emmanuel Macron in which we have very strong proposals for reinforcing the purchasing power of the French people. And I think that uh, one of the striking points of the debate yesterday is uh, the fact that we have the best proposals as far as purchasing power of the French people is, con is concerned. When you're looking at the proposals from uh, uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, they are not so convincing and they are not uh, funded. Uh, so I think that there are really key elements regarding the future of France on which we have uh, the best solutions and the solutions that might also convince uh, voters coming from the left-wing parties. We know that purchasing power has been a key topic in this campaign and of course the, the geopolitical context with the war in Ukraine and the potential impact of the sanctions. Um, how do you prepare the French people and how far do you think people are to take on the cost potentially of some of the sanctions of the war in Ukraine? We are fully aware of the cost of these sanctions but I just want to recall that we have taken all the necessary decisions over the last month to protect the French population against 
the consequences of the rise of uh, energy prices. We have a single country and a single government within the EU that has decided, not in 2022, but before the Ukraine crisis, in 2021, to cap the electricity prices, not uh, more than 4% for the electricity prices in France, to freeze the gas prices and to provide uh, also support to uh, the people that are using their cars to uh, go uh, working with uh, a support of uh, 18 cents per uh, gasoline liter. So I just want to insist on the fact that we have taken the strongest measures over the other uh, EU member states to protect the French population against the consequences of the sanctions against Russia. The situation in 2022 is very different to 2017. If Emmanuel Macron is re-elected, a lot of people want to abstain or vote no. A big part of the population is voting for an anti-system candidate. How can Emmanuel Macron, if he's re-elected, reconcile a country that seems to be more and more divided? This will be uh, one of the key challenges of uh, the next uh, mandate of Emmanuel Macron if he is re-elected re uh, on Sunday. And uh, I think that if you want to uh, reconciliate uh, all the French population and to avoid that uh, gap between uh, two parts of the populations, that kind of discrepancy between two parts of the population, you have, first of all, to go to full employment. I really think that having full employment, it will be the first time over the next half century that France would have the full employment, is one of the ways to convince the people that we can reconciliate the French society. We have also to uh, defend very uh, strong rules and to recall that everybody has to abide by the Republican rule and by the Republican law. This is a way also of uh, preserving and reinforcing the unity of the French population. And the third point on which I would like to insist is the fact that we need a vision, a long-term vision, which would be based on the necessity of fighting against the climate change and being the first developed countries to uh, reduce uh, its CO2 emissions and to have a decarbonated economy. And that was Bruno Le Maire, the French economy and finance minister, one of those last campaigning events. And what could be one of his last uh, interviews in this capacity? Because we know that even if Emmanuel Macron is re-elected, there would be a reshuffle of cabinet. And Emmanuel Macron himself is holding his final rally in the southwest of France uh, later today. Again, a stronghold of uh, the left wing. So there he needs to convince some of these voters again to win. But look, they say campaigning is all about dynamic. The dynamic, according to polls, is definitely on the Emmanuel Macron camp. He's been widening the gap with the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen over the past few days, but uh, still a lot of uncertainty. Abstention could be one of these being unknown in this election. Uh, but here is, Karen, the place where maybe on Sunday night Emmanuel Macron could be the first incumbent in France in 20 years to be elected according to French media. This is the place where he could celebrate his electoral night on Sunday, but still a bit of uncertainty out there. Which would be a change from the Louvre from last time, so it would be a different backdrop if indeed he is re-elected. But can I just bring up the challenge of the far left, because that seems to be the major focus. The left turned out last time round to support Macron. This time round, it seems as though there are a lot of disenchanted voters around the cost of living crisis and even some chanting the Gilets jaunes theme yesterday as Macron was out there greeting uh, some of the so-called supporters. What is the challenge at this point? Do you think he's done enough to secure the left? 
that's really the question and the challenge here is, you know, last time he was elected again, a lot of people voted for him, didn't agree with his ideas, but to block Marine Le Pen. But the deal is then you represent all these voters as well and you need to follow some of their ideas as well. And a lot of these voters say, look, he didn't follow the deal. Emmanuel Macron didn't follow the deal and his policies were very much towards the right and didn't, for, didn't respect our ideas, even though we gave him our vote. So that's why some of them want to abstain this time around. But there is this deep tradition of the left uh, still in France that is deeply Republican and a lot of them, even though at the at a time after the first round, after the shock of not having the candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon into the second round, said I will not vote, not Macron, not Le Pen. Um, this time round, we see that more and more of those voters actually said they will vote for Emmanuel Macron to block uh, Marine Le Pen. But now what they call, we, and Jean-Luc Mélenchon himself has called it the third round of this election. It's all about the legislatives. That's what they have their eyes on. And Jean-Luc Mélenchon is calling people to make him prime minister. They say, now if you want to really have our ideas in power and you want to control Emmanuel Macron and his government, then get, vote for me, give me a majority, and I can be prime minister. So they call this the third round of this election. That's a little bit jumping hoops, of course, because we have this all-important election here. One could be the most important of the French Fifth Republic here. The far right has never been so close to power. So what happened on Sunday first is incredibly crucial. But of course, the power of whoever is elected will be determined by the legislative in just eight weeks after. Of course, that's very important. And a lot of the other political forces are already positioning themselves for that next battle. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.